Our scripture on this Lord's Day is the creation story from the first chapter of Genesis. As we come to God's word, let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm Scott Singleton, a pharmaceutical scientist. Listen. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I'm Lynn Billings, and I'm a nurse. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. I'm Betsy Edwards, molecular biologist. Listen. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. I'm Andy Ackerman, statistician. Listen. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the fourth day. I'm Sharon Edmiston, molecular biologist. Listen. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day 
I'm Donna Van Ingen, chemist. Listen. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. I'm John Wallace, epidemiologist. Listen. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male, female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I'm Will Aldridge, psychologist. Listen. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the Church Universal and God's Word to you? I said I do to this ordination question in 2006. I said it standing on the chancel steps of Village Presbyterian Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. Less than a year earlier, 100 miles from that spot in Topeka, the State Board of Education voted to change teaching standards that would forbid public school teachers to include the scientific theory of evolution in their curriculum. Why? One board member said it was because of a belief in a literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 stating that evolution was biologically, genetically, mathematically, chemically, metaphysically, wildly, and utterly impossible. The chancel steps where I answered that ordination question were made of limestone tiles. And in that stone were fossils. 
I used to love to watch the children during worship, during time with children when they weren't paying attention. They would look in the floor and find coral and brachiopods, creatures of all kinds that have changed over time, preserved right there in the middle of that sacred sanctuary. Creation, six days plus one for rest, done, the word of the Lord. Fossils under our feet, monkeys as our ancestors. What are we to do, friends? Christians have a history of going in diverging directions with this question. Earlier this month, our Presbyterian campus ministry took 30 students to Montreat for a conference where they encountered a scholar named Peter Inns. In his book, The Sin of Certainty, Inns describes what he calls threats to the faith. He writes the idea of the Bible providing a sure intellectual foundation for what we believe took a knockout blow from four rapid punches within about 30 years. Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. Archaeology. For most of Christian history, our source of information about the ancient Israelites and their neighbors came from the Bible alone. But then scientists discovered stories of other ancient peoples, and they too had stories of beginnings and the first humans and a great flood, and all of a sudden our Bible didn't look so unique. Three German biblical scholars, they were the first to tell us that Moses didn't actually write the first five books of Scripture. In fact, several people living centuries apart long after Moses wrote various portions of these books and gathered them together as our Scripture. So We lost our eyewitness. And four, slavery. Christians in the 19th century debated the enslavement of African people. And turning to scripture, they found conflicting imagery. Slaveholders quoted, Slaves, obey your master as you obey Christ. And others Denouncing racism as sin, quoted, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave or free. What are we to do with a Bible that does not give us crystal clear answers to huge ethical questions? All of this meant that while some opened faith to nuance, Others gripped certainty even tighter. Those who doubled down on the fundamentals of faith and practiced a literal reading of scripture became known as fundamentalists. As my friend Jenny McDevitt says, the fundamentalist expression of Christianity makes faith an argument to be won rather than a way to be lived. The late Rachel Held Evans, who grew up within that tradition herself, says that the fundamentalist Christian sits perpetually on the precipice of doom, 
one scientific discovery or cultural shift or difficult theological conversation away from extinction. So fearful, so fearful of losing their grip on faith, they squeeze the life right out of it. Now, if this is you, you are welcome here. We will give you a soft landing place in your fear. You will hear the gospel proclaimed here in ways that may shake your footing, but you will have our hands in support. But my guess is that most of you have gone a different direction. My guess is that evolution and archaeology and biblical scholarship and ethical questions, they aren't threats to your faith. My guess is that none of you believe that the world was made in seven distinct days. My guess is that your trust of science is not in conflict with your trust in God. Those are my guesses because three years deep as your pastor, I know you. And it's my guess because we're Presbyterian. I know I gave John Calvin a hard time the last time I was in this pulpit. But this theological forefather of ours said that, yes, God is revealed in scripture, but God is also revealed in nature. He even argues that scientists have a front row seat in experiencing God's glory. I bet some of these friends, Betsy and Lynn and Scott and Andy, would agree. Jamie Bryan, the ophthalmologist who told me my eyes were getting old, and thus I needed these, described how if you get a floater in your eye, Gravity pulls that floater downward. The eye is like a camera, which means upside down and backwards as far as the image. So when that floater goes downward, it moves higher and higher out of your central vision field so it doesn't bother you. God's brilliance on display. I asked these UPC chemists and biologists and geneticists to read our scripture today because part of what I want to model here this morning is the connection of faith and science, not their separation. We can be people of faith and people who believe in science, people of the word and people of the empirical method, church we do not have to compartmentalize our lives. In fact, we are best when we don't. Jack Benjamin, a pediatrician here, told me a story of twins born with severe respiratory distress. He was in Virginia at the time, and the NICU was full, and it was across town. So Jack and the nurses that he was with in the community hospital where he served, they did all that they could. At 3 a.m., when the twins had not responded to his initial treatments, Jack remembers stopping everything that he was doing and hugging the incubator where those tiny babies lay and praying 
faith and science are friends, not enemies. And the Israelites who wrote this sacred text, they knew that too. A little Bible study for you. Genesis 1 is the first creation account, the seven-day narrative. And there is another creation account that comes just after it in chapter 2, the story of Adam and Eve. Now, these two accounts are different. They use different names for God, Elohim and Yahweh. In the seven-day narrative, God creates light first. In the other, God starts with Chadam, the earthling, Adam. William Greenway, who teaches theology at Austin Seminary, suggests that we could conclude any one of the following three things. That the people who put these accounts together were trying to write a scientifically accurate account, but they were too dull-witted to notice the glaring inconsistencies. Two, God actually created everything twice. Or... The people who composed these accounts noticed the contradictions, but scientific accuracy was not a concern of theirs because they were telling the story to testify to another kind of truth. So then what is the truth of which this text speaks? This is not a story of how God creates the world. It's a story of why God creates the world. And why, indeed? It seems to me that God creates the world because God knows that we need light to lead the way. And that darkness, too, is holy and essential and ought not to be overlooked. Why? Because God knows that we need to be reminded that we are created in God's image and that we are called good, very good. Why? Because God knows that in the midst of chaos, when everything is a swirling mess around us, we need to remember that God can still speak and make room for life. Because God knows that we need a picture of life that is sustainable. Life where all creatures of all kinds can live in harmony. Why? Because God knows that we can so easily forget that all of life, all of it, is bound up with God. When I stood on top of those fossil embedded tiles and said that I accepted the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as God's word to me, that is what I meant. And I still do. Now, I don't know. I don't know when Christians like those in Topeka all those years ago will stop trying to pit faith against science. It's been happening a long time. In 1922, a preacher named Harry Emerson Fosdick preached a sermon called Shall the Fundamentalists Win? In it, he asks, what can you do with folks like this who, in the face of colossal issues, play with the tiddlywinks and picadillos of religion, the games and trivial matters? 
He says it is almost unforgivable that we should quarrel when the world is perishing for lack of the weightier matters. We have colossal problems which must be solved in Christ's name and for Christ's sake. A hundred years later, colossal problems indeed. In the century since that sermon was preached, the earth's temperature has only risen, and over 500 species have gone extinct. And those who bear the image of God in Ukraine and down the street struggle, struggle to see light. So whether we stand on fossils or on the red brick sidewalks across the street, May we face these colossal problems together, armed with science, all the amazing things that the Lord has let us learn, and guided by the truth we know in this word, spoken by the maker of light, the lover of creatures, the one who calls all things good. Good.